Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you. 
Just type this in the chat room real fast, and then we'll pray. I also want to test the microphone on this location. I'm not wearing it up close to my mouth right now, so I was wondering how clear the microphone might be where I've got it right now. But anybody would give me some feedback on that, I'd appreciate it. If it sounds too low, too far away, noisy, echoes, any problem, any good. Is it fine? Is it bad? If anybody wants to give me some feedback on how the microphone sounds right now, I'd appreciate it. Okay. Thank you, Decipher. 
Let's try this right there. Is that any better right there? Or is it worse? Does that cause echoes? Let me tell any difference in that. Okay, so I'm going to have to clear my to put it on. I just go ahead and put it on now. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for your feedback. Good to see everyone. Let's go in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us in all time zones, all at the same time, in every nation, every language, every race, every color, every tongue, that you are God. You see all of us, and you are with us now, every one of us. Thank you, Lord, for choosing your church and for having mercy and grace upon us to call us, to choose us, to teach us, to show us great things, for continuing to show us your power, your wonders, your greatness, and your love, and your truth the movement of your spirit. Thank you for showing us all this and more. Thank you for continuing to teach us and deliver us and rescue us. Praise the name of Jesus. Thank you that we are saved today from the tornadoes and storms from trials and tribulations and persecution. From famine and distress, you have saved us and kept us safe. Thank you for keeping us safe through two years of the pandemic, the vaccines, and increased persecution. Thank you that your hand and your spirit is still upon us. Praise God. We pray for your special blessing and anointing on today's sermon. Please help every brother and sister to understand. Please help them to understand my English, my dialect, my way of speaking. Please help them with their computers, their internet connection, their phones. Please help them to understand the message, the scriptures, and the truth. Let us not be deceived on anything. And if we are, please show us that we may be delivered from it. Thank you, Lord, for this food that we're about to receive. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for what you've already done to prepare this, for what you're about to do, and for what you're already doing. We give you all the honor, all the glory, all the praise. In the name of Jesus, so be it. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise Jesus. Let's turn to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 49. 
This message today is going to be really exciting. It was really mind-boggling all night and all morning, reading and studying and hearing the voice of the Lord on this. Very exciting. Mind-boggling. God never ceases to amaze me. For those that might be listening for the first time, we're reading from the Alpha and Omega Bible, Restoration of the Original Scriptures. Isaiah 49, that's starting on page 37 in volume 4, the prophets. We are still going to uh, release and publish the newest update of the paperbacks. Hopefully within the next week or two. Been a lot of delay in that. I have to apologize because we've been doing so much around the new location, the new building that we're in, so much work to do. Still a lot of work to do. It's mind blowing how much work we've already done. And it's mind blowing how much we still got to do on this new building. Nevertheless, we praise God for it. It's a great provision. Amen. Praise God. So that when God starts to gather his people, we'll be able to fit a hundred people in here. And that's going to be so awesome when they arrive. Amen. Praise God. Isaiah 49, verse 1. We're going to read from verse 1 through verse 13. Verse 1, listen to and obey me, you islands. Now there's your first clue. Who is he speaking to? Islands, the inhabitants, the population of islands. So please underline the word islands. And attend 
you Gentiles, meaning not only am I speaking to islands, but I want a second group of people to listen, to attend. That means to listen and pay attention to what's being said, even though he's not really speaking directly to the Gentiles, but he's speaking to Israeli islands. Now, if you look at the nation of Israel today, they don't have islands in the Middle Eastern nation of Israel that own the map today, or even in the times of the Bible. But you've got two different groups of people here, the islands and the Gentiles. These are two different groups of people, as it makes more clear as we keep reading. So since there are two different groups of people, these islands are speaking to Israel, but he wants the Gentiles to also pay attention. After a long time, it shall come to pass, so this is a prophecy, say of Jesus, from my mother's womb, he has called my name. If you think about Jesus, the name of Jesus was given by the angels to Joseph or Mary, whichever one, or both, by the angels while he was still in the room. So the name of Jesus has a connection to what he wants to reveal. And he has made my mouth as a sharp sword. We know that the Bible says that the word of God is a sharp sword, but also when Jesus returns the word out of his mouth as he comes out of the sky is a sharp sword. <clears throat> so this also refers to Jesus, the name of Jesus and the words out of his mouth. And he has hid me under the shadow of his hand. He has made me as a choice staff. We know that his staff and his rod comfort us, Psalm 23. And he has hid me in his quiver. He said to me, Yeah, Robert? Out of the staff, what now? Is that a quiver? Or a staff? Oh, a different staff. staff. Okay. A shaft. A, a shaft, like an arrow. Okay. And he said to me, you are my servant, O Jezebel. So right there he says, I'm speaking to Jezebel. So that identifies, it points back to who the islands are. He's speaking directly to Israel, to Jezebel. But Israel does not have islands unless you recognize the truth and the prophecies given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they would inherit Many, many places and many tribes and nations upon the earth would be given to them and to their descendants. And so once you recognize the prophecies and the fact that Israel would not be limited to a state the size of New Jersey, just a tiny little state, but rather the Bible promises and prophesizes that the nation of Israel should become a great multitude of nations, nations. The Bible promises this. And then you would have islands. 
And only then would you have islands. Amen. And really the African nations do not have islands. Amen. And in you I will be glorified. In Israel I will be glorified. In other words, he's going to use Israel as a tool, as an instrument, as a vessel of, of his works. Amen. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have given my strength for vanity and for nothing. Therefore is my judgment with Jesus and my labor before my fears. And now, thus have Jesus that formed me from the womb to be his servant. So then, it's talking about here in verse 4 and verse 5, that Israel is speaking back to God. Both Isaiah and Israel, the one that the word is being sent to, speaks back to God and says, basically, that he is humbling himself, that Israel, Jacob, is humbling himself and saying that I work for the Lord and I am your servant. And that Jesus came as a suffering servant of the greater measure of the holy breath. Thus saith Jesus that formed me from the womb to be his own servant, to gather Jacob to him and Jesus. I shall be gathered and glorified before Jesus, and my fields shall be my strength. So this is a prophecy that God will gather his people, Israel, from all across the world. We know that Ezekiel 37, talking about the second resurrection, promises a gathering in the hundred years after the thousand years, that the house of Israel and the house of Jacob shall become one again, that they shall be gathered together. Amen. So there's a promise of a gathering of the tribes from having been scattered all across the world. Verse 6, And he said to me, It is a great thing for you to be called my servant, to establish the tribes, not one tribe, but multiple tribes of Jacob, of Israel, and to recover the dispersion of Israel, meaning to gather them from where they have been dispersed, from where they have been scattered, that they will be gathered together again. Behold, I have given you for the covenant of a race. A covenant of a race of people. God did choose Jacob over Isaac. I mean over Esau. And he did choose Isaac over Ishmael. And he did promise the blessings of Abraham and Isaac to go down through the children of Jacob being Israel, including the tribe of Judah, as well as the tribe of Dan, and Reuben, and Manasseh, and Ephraim, and Joseph, and so forth. It is a covenant with a specific group of people. For 
for this reason. For a light of the Gentiles, or for the Gentiles, as a light to the Gentiles. So that's why he also wants the Gentiles to listen. Amen. Because Israel, this race of people of these tribes of Israel, the tribes of Israel, is not for a curse upon the Gentiles, but rather as a light to the Gentiles. Going back to the fact that he is giving, kind of find what it said here in the previous verse, uh, like a blessing or a salvation, what was it? Let me cut the glasses on. Find it in a second. Maybe I'm thinking about verse 3 that in Israel he would be glorified. I feel like there was something else. So it says it right to the next part of this sentence in verse 6, the last sentence in verse 6, a light of the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the end of the earth. That you should be for salvation to the end or the ends of the earth. So in other words, he's using Israel as a light of salvation. What I wanted to point to is that the name of Jesus in verse 1. That was what I was trying to think of. From my mother's room, it's called my name. So the name of Jesus, you need to put a note at the end of verse 1, Brother Gerald, if you want to make a note, that at the end of verse 1, add a note, that the name of Jesus, and put a reference to where the angel said his name should be called Jesus. Verse 6. So verse 1 is pointing to verse 6. We'll put that in the note. Verse 1 is pointing for the name of Jesus in verse 1 is pointing to verse 6 being proclaimed by the tribes of Israel as a tool of salvation to the Gentiles all across the earth. So let's, read, let's word that again. The name of Jesus, something like this, the name of Jesus Pointing to verse 6, being used as a tool of salvation to all the world, to the Gentiles in all the world. We can figure out the direct wording later, but that's about the best I can get back now. So verse 1, the name of Jesus, is important to the salvation being used by the tribes of Israel as a light of salvation to the whole world. So 
why and how. We have discovered a long time ago that the name of Jesus being pronounced correctly with the G sound, the, the long G sound with the long E sound combination, G as the letter G, but you can hear the letter E in there also, the J and the E, you can hear them both. is not pronounced normally in most Gentile languages. Korean, African, Arabic, Aramaic, so on, so on, so on. Most of your Gentile languages do not have that sound in their, their vocabulary. So you have to look to the tribes of Israel specifically Ireland, Scotland, Australia, America, and so forth, the tribes of Israel, in order to find the correct connection of Jesus, the only name given that we may be saved by. Amen? So Gentiles should listen and pay attention to the word of God being spoken not by, not by African preachers, not by African nations, not by African tribes and the so-called, falsely called black Israelites, but rather to pay attention to the Israelite, the Anglo-Saxon Israelite, the British American Israelites, the true Israelites, in order to learn the name that you must be saved by. Amen? Why would it put in verse 1 the name given while he was still in the room, which is Jesus? Why is that listed there, talking about a gathering of Israel, talking about the Gentiles listening and the Gentiles receiving salvation by the light of Israel? Why? It's important. It's not there in vain. Amen. Continuing in verse 7. Thus saith Jesus that delivered you, the Theos of Jezreel, sanctify him that despises his life, him that, has, him that is abhorred or hated by the nations, that are the servants of princes. Kings shall behold him, and princes shall arise and shall worship him. For Jesus' sake, for the Holy One of Jezreel is faithful, and I have chosen. Verse 8. Thus saith Jesus, in an acceptable time have I heard you, and in a day of salvation have I succoured you, and I have formed you, and given you for a covenant of the nations. Underline the word covenant of the the nations to establish the earth, underlying to establish the earth, and to cause to inherit the desert heritages. Underlying inherit the desert heritages. The word heritage we're changing to, we can cross it out, please, everybody, cross out where it says heritage, and write in there at the end of the verse, write the word 
inheritance. Inheritance. Calls you to inherit the desert or the desolate is another way of translating that. Inheritance. So, there is a covenant. Verse 6, underlying the covenant of a race. Underlying to establish the tribes of Jacob. Also in verse 6, underlying for a life of the Gentiles. Underlying that you should be for salvation to the end of the earth. We'll read verse 6 again. And he said to me, it is a great thing for you to be called my servant, to establish the tribes of Jacob, underlying to establish the tribes of Jacob, and to recover the dispension, that is the scattering of Jezreel. Underline that too. To recover the dispension or the scattering, or to gather the scattering of Jezreel. Behold, I have given you for a covenant of a race, underlying covenant of a race, for light of the Gentiles, underlying light of the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the end of the earth, underlying all the rest of the earth. Verse 9, let's skip down to verse 9. Say unto them that are in bonds, go forth. What does that mean? In the context, he's speaking to the tribes of Israel that have been hated by their own, their own servants, been hated by other nations, verse 7, underlined, and whored by the nations that are the servants of princes. Yeah, verse 7. And whored by the nations, hated by the nations, underlined that that are the servants of princes, underlying that. So in other words, the African tribes, the Native American Indian tribes, and the Gentile tribes, which all of those are Gentile tribes as well, and other Gentile tribes, and the Russians and the Chinese hate America, and the Arab nations hate America, America is the most loved nation and the most hated nation. Amen. And America and the Israelite tribes, including the Jews, are hated and hoarded by the nations that are and were given to be the servants of Israel. Read Abraham. He had Gentile servants. Isaac had Gentile servants. Jacob had sent Gentile servants. Servants, so on, so on, so on. Amen. So how can the nations and tribes of Africa be Israel? It's impossible. Amen. Because would you say that Americans are servants to Africa? No, it wouldn't make no sense. It doesn't make any sense that the tribes of Africa are the tribes of Israel. It doesn't make any sense at all, in any context at all. Amen. 
Now in verse 9, who are in bonds? In this context, it's not the servants, but rather the tribes of Israel. Because how the tribes have been scattered across the world and hated by the Gentile nations. So that's who is talking about who is in bonds. As we keep reading, that becomes clear. Saying to them that are in bonds, go forth. The tribes of Israel, go forth. And bidding them that are in darkness, show themselves, that they should be fed in all the ways and in all the paths shall be their pasture. So in other words, even though you're being scattered across the world, as you're being chased by the Arab nations, by the Muslim nations, as you're being chased by the Gentile nations, no matter where you go, in all of your path, no matter where you go, God will still feed you, and your path will still be a pasture. For the Lord is our shepherd. Amen. So even in the valley of the shadow of death, we can find the desert roads. Amen. And the oasis. That God will make a path. That he will feed us even in the wilderness. That he will feed us even in the desert and even in the desolate places that it had mentioned. Amen. Verse 10, they shall not hunger, neither shall they thirst, neither shall they eat, nor the sun smite them. So he that has mercy on them shall comfort them, and by the fountains of waters, oasis, and by the fountains of waters shall he lead them. And I will make every mountain as a road and every path a pasture to them, Verse 12, Behold, these shall come from far. In other words, they're scattered all across the world. And when they are gathered, they shall come from far reaches of the land, and these from the north and the west, and others from the land, it says right here, from the land of the Persians. But we're going to make a correction Where it says Persians, the Persians, those two words, the Persians. I want you to mark that out and write in South slash Australia. Yep, that's right. That they should be gathered from the north and the west and others from the land of the south and from Australia. Brothers and sisters in Christ of all nations and all languages and all tribes, this is Australia in the Bible. This is mind-boggling. Absolutely, absolutely Mind-boggling. Amen. God is so good. Now, this last word of verse 12 is translated many different ways in many different Bibles. 
And in some Bibles, it is the word spelled like this, S-I-N-I-M. Again, that's S-I-N-I-M. And in some Bibles, it is A-S-W-A-N, A-S-W-A-N. Both of those words, nobody knows what it means normally. Generally, people don't know what A-S-W-A-N means, and nobody knows what S-I-N-I-M means. So we have to have a better way of translating the Latin Vulgate Bible, which was translated out of the Greek. Very old Bible from the 1st and 2nd, 3rd century A.D. says Australia. Australia. That blew my mind once I saw that last night. The Vulgate, written thousands of years ago, said that the tribes of Israel would be gathered from the north and the west and from the land of Australia. And yet Australia didn't really exist 2,000 years ago. In a way, of course, the land was there, but really nobody knew that it was there. Unless it may have had, you know, some natives that came over from India at an earlier point or something like that. But for the most part, the world in general, the Middle East, the people living in the Middle East did not know of Australia. And Italy and Rome did not know that Australia existed. 2,000 years ago, but yet the Vulgate wrote that the tribes of Israel would be gathered from the north and the west and from the land of Australia. This is mind-blowing. So as I continue to study, I learned that the word Australia is the Latin word for south. The Latin word for south. If you look up the origin of the word Australia, it would tell you it is Latin for south. So what the Vulgate was saying is that they will be gathered from the north and the west and from the south. The Latin word for south is Australia. Mind-boggling. Even though it is the Latin word for south, and that would fit here perfectly, and that is what it's saying. At the same time, even though that is a fact, we must also realize that it would be perfectly fine to use the word Australia here, even though that's Latin and not officially Greek, not Paleo-Hebrew, it would still be acceptable to use the word Australia here considering the context of verse 1, islands, islands, and the context of Israel having been scattered all across the world in every direction, in every direction. Also notice the word east is missing. The north, the west, and the south. 
But where is the east? Why would they not be gathered from the east? For many Bible commentaries to say that this last word in verse 12, which is a nifty word that's difficult to understand, S-I-N-I-N or A-S-W-O-N, that it must be referring to either the south or the east or both, or maybe the southeast. Some people theorize that it'd be talking about China because China is far east and also there are southern portions of China that goes into the southern compared to Russia and other nations. But China would not fit the context. China is not an Israelite tribe. It would not fit, fit the context. And there's not a lot of Israelites there for the majority of history, even though there's going to be a lot of Israelites there in the Great Tribulation, taken as slaves. But I really don't feel like it's talking about China at all. It would say, my, my God. If it's talking about China, it would say Magog. Amen. So it's not China. But if you think of Australia on the globe, Australia is even more south and even more east. It is both south and east of China. And especially when you consider New Zealand and the islands of New Zealand. Amen. Australia is considered not only a nation and a continent, but Australia is also considered an island. We must also remember the British Islands. Amen. The British Island, Ireland and Scotland, and Wales and the other islands of the UK, the United Kingdom, this is where Australia came from. The people that have settled into Australia came from England, for the most part, and also from the tribe of Dan from Greece. There's a lot of people that speak Greek in Australia because some of their ancestors came from Greece with the Greek language from the tribe of Dan, another tribe of Israel. So both the Greek culture in Australia and the British culture both points back to the islands of Greece and the islands of the UK. The islands, the islands, the islands. Amen. Also, Australia points back to verse 8 where it says desert inheritance. The word desert, like I said, can also be translated as desert. A area of land that is not very well populated. It could be dry or it could just simply be unpopulated. You can translate it either way. A desolate place, unpopulated, or a dry land, a wilderness, a place where not a lot of people dwell at. And Australia would fit both definitions. Australia, for the most part, is desolate, unpopulated. The majority of Australia, nobody lives. The majority of the continent, nobody lives there. 
it is a desolate place because it is mostly desert and dry land. So it would fit both definitions. So many different words and phrases defend these 13 verses. Confirm and reveal and prove who Israel is and Australia being part of it. Amen. Mind-boggling. Verse 13, rejoice, you universe, and let the earth, let all the world be glad. Let the mountains break forth for joy for Jesus and had mercy on his people and have comforted, comforted the lowly, that means humble ones of his people, or the base, the poor of his people, or the persecuted of his people. Amen. In other words, he has taken a people that, as the Bible said, at one time was not a people. He has taken nomads, wanderers, people that was wandering in a desert. He has taken people that was not very powerful and turned them into kings, queens, and princes, and rulers over the entire earth. We must realize that we're not great by our own strength. America was never great by her own strength. And you are not great by your own strength, or your own knowledge, or your own ability. But it is the grace shown to us by the Almighty Father in Jesus' name that has made America and Australia and the UK great at one time. Amen. But we and the people have forsaken their God, then we are not so great. Our greatness is based upon not who we are so much as upon who we serve. Amen. That God has chosen us. Amen. Captain Cook was commanded by King George III to find what he called the Great Southland. The Great Southland. That was in the 1700s. In 1770, Captain Cook sailed along and mapped the east coast of Australia, and he named it, quote, New South Wales. Blamed it for, for, for Great Britain. 1770, Captain Cook named the east coast of Australia New South Wales. New South Wales. Naming it, naming it after a region of the UK. South Wales. So you see there the name South. And also, King George III sent him, sent Captain Cook, to look for the land that was not called Australia. Actually, it was called Australia. They was using uh, the Latin. King George actually did use the Latin word Australia. 
as well as the English word Great South Land. As far as I know, as far as I understand, I believe he used both the Latin and the English, Australia and the Great South Land, knowing that both phrases mean South. They knew, for whatever reason, I don't know if they heard it from somebody or how they knew it, but they knew that there was a land, a mysterious lost land, somewhere in the southern Pacific Ocean. And so the King George III told Captain Cook to go look for it, to find it, to find the great Southland. And he did. So you have this theme of South. Even the Bible calls Australia here in verse 12, South, the land of the South. I think it was just last week that I spoke about the Confederate flag. Was that last week or the week before? Two weeks ago, okay? So it's very interesting that God uses this word South to reveal who, who the tribes of Israel are. Very interesting. That he uses the word south in Isaiah 49, verse 12. Actually, uses both the word Australia and the word south to reveal who Israel is. And if Australia is Israel, then so is the UK, and so is Scotland, and so is Ireland. And if Scotland and Ireland and the UK are uh, if they are Israel, then so is America. So is America. Because who are the Americans? They are the British and the Scottish and the Irish. Amen. There is a province in Canada called Nova Scotia, New Scotland. So there's a province, Brother Gerald just said, there's a province in Canada called what? Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia, which means? New Scotland. New Scotland. New Scotland. Amen. Many of the people that came over from Ireland and Scotland and England, when they came to Amer the Americas and the continent of North America, they would name it, even the word Virginia, comes from over there, from Europe. So they would name it after places that they knew about from England, Scotland, and Ireland. We had talked two weeks ago in the sermon about the Confederate flag, the flag of the South, and how the way it looks is because of Scottish and Irish influence. And so it's very interesting that this comes up. Let's go to the book of 2 Samuel. Samuel. In the history book, volume 2, history, 2 Samuel 7, Two Samuel 7, page 84. 
starting in verse 12, verse 12 down through 16, 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. And it shall come to pass, when your days shall have been fulfilled, and you shall sleep with your fathers, that I will rise up your seed, your children after you, even from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He will build for me a house to my name. This is talking about David and Solomon. And I will set up his throne even forever. So it's talking more specifically about David. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And when he happens to transgress to sin, then I will discipline him with the rod of hand and with the stripes of the sons of him. But my mercy I will not take from him, as I took it from those whom I removed from my presence. For his house, David's house, David's kingdom, shall be made sure, and his kingdom forever before me, and his throne shall be set up forever. Amen. I did a sermon a long time ago. I don't know what year it was. That the throne of David is eternal. And that the throne of David, all the, all the way from when David is anointed by Samuel until this very day, and until Jesus comes, and throughout the thousand years and the hundred years, and even in paradise, the throne of David is eternal. Amen. There should never be an end to the throne of David. And Queen Elizabeth, right now, sits on the throne of David. Not very well, but nevertheless, she sits on the throne of David. So if you want to try to find that sermon, or if Brother Gerald can find it and re upload it to me, read, or not upload it, but link to it. Later today, hopefully, God willing. David's throne was established in Jerusalem in the year 1042 B.C. when he reigned over the 12 tribes of Israel. Following the history of the kings of the house of David who ruled over Judah, we can go all the way up to, down to King Zedekiah. And then eventually, I believe during the time of King Zedekiah, the throne was transferred to Ireland around 583 BC, when King Zedekiah's daughter married into the royal line of Ireland. So that comes. A little bit from the Bible, and even more so from history. You have to follow history. Now, when you look at these dates, you find certain kings and so forth and queens of Ireland, and it is claimed by Wikipedia and other websites that these Irish kings and queens are just legends and myths. But I don't believe that at all. You know how the leftist people like to try to rewrite history and hide history, even as they did with the Civil War and the Confederate flag, how they have tried to rewrite history and give a false impression of what the war is about and so forth. 
And so the, the throne went to Ireland in the B.C. years. Stayed there for thousands of years. Uh, let's see if I'm fine more, more specifically. Uh, maybe more like 1,000, almost 1,000 years. The throne was in Ireland from 583 B.C. until it went to Scotland in 506 A.D. It went from Scotland to Ireland in 506 A.D. And then finally, it was in Scotland, it looks like, for 1,100 years. I went to England in 1603. Went to England in 1603. I'm going to be cutting a lot of notes in our Mewe group with a lot of links and references that you can examine and study. And the website, the websites, multiple websites that I'm going to link to, you must understand that I don't necessarily agree with every word throughout their entire websites, but I'm just agreeing with and pointing to the references and the scriptures and the historical references in these specific articles, specific pages that I will link to. And now, I spoke earlier about flag. Let's talk about the Australian flag. The Australian flag. The Australian flag, just like the Confederate flag and the American flag, has been changed many times. The Confederate flag was changed. The American flag was changed. Even the flag of England and the UK, they changed over time. And the same would be true with Australia. The current Australian flag comes from 1901. When in, 19, in 1901, Australia got their independence from Great Britain, even though they stayed as a Commonwealth member of the Commonwealth, but nevertheless gained independence from Britain, if that makes any sense. The Australian flag design symbolizes the global southern location of Australia by the use of a southern hemisphere constellation on the flag. On the Australian flag, you're going to find the constellation called the Southern Cross, which consists of five stars in the right-hand half of the flag. The right-hand half of the flag is the Southern Hemisphere constellation called the Southern Cross. Southern Cross. That symbolizes the southern location of Australia on the globe. So even the flag of Australia showing the location on the globe as being southern by using the constellation called the Southern Cross. And then the fact that the word Australia means south in Latin and was historically called the land of the south and is referred to in the Bible as the land of the south, Australia is. 
All of this we have learned only two weeks after talking about the flag of the South of the United States, which also has Scottish and Irish connection. Well, guess what? The Australian flag also has Scottish and Irish connection because in the upper left corner of the Australian flag, you have the flag of the UK. And the flag of the UK is called the Union Jack. The Union Jack. That is what you call the flag of the United Kingdom. And that flag has changed many times. And originally, the flag of England was nothing but a white background with a red cross on its side. Instead of the cross coming up from the ground up to the sky, it is a cross laying on the ground on its side for whatever reason. So it was just a red cross at one time for England. But then, when England and, let's see who it was next, England and Scotland, Scotland merged together because of war. England and Scotland came together in, I believe, 1606 or so. They added the symbolism of Scotland to that flag. And so then you have not only the cross, but you have an X, like you see in the Confederate flag. X over the entire cross on top of the on top of the cross or under the cross, however you want to look at it. And then in 1801, Ireland was merged in, and then they added another cross of a different color, resulting in the crisscrossing of the two crosses or the two X's plus the cross resulting in what you see in the Union Jack UK flag today, which is the northwest corner of the Australian flag. So what you see then in the Australian flag is the heritage, the inheritance of how Australia came from the UK and how the UK consists not only of England, but also it consists of Scotland and Ireland. And then you have that influence upon the Confederate flag. So you cannot separate the southern United States, which has a lot of Scottish, Scottish and Irish ancestry, and songs and food and dance and culture. Here in the southern United States, you have a lot of Scottish and Irish influence upon song and dance and food and culture. You cannot separate that from this connection of England, the UK, the Australian flag, the Confederate flag, all of it is connected. All of it is connected. And so, then there is one more thing on the Australian flag. 
So you've got the constellation on the right-hand side. You've got the UK flag in the northwest corner of the flag. And then you have one huge star underneath the British flag, which you will find on the Australia flag in the lower left corner. And that huge star is called the Commonwealth Star or the Federation Star. Some people call it the Commonwealth Star. Other people call it the Federation Star. That particular star has seven points representing the states and territories of Australia. Six points for the six original states of the Commonwealth of Australia plus the seventh final point representing the territories and other future states of Australia. A total of seven points. Seven, we know, is the number of completion in the Bible. The other stars on the flag making up the constellation have six points each. Before reading this last night, it came into my mind, and I do believe, I do believe it was the Logos, the Word of God. I do believe it was Jesus. It came into my mind before I even read this about the seven candles, the seven candlesticks in Revelation 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3. There's first three chapters of Revelation, the seven candles. Came in mind that there's a connection there, that there's seven candles, there's seven lights. And so you see this seven points to the star, the, the biggest star, the biggest star on the Australian flag. Now let's talk about the colors of the Australian flag and the colors of the Confederate flag and the colors of the Union Jack, the UK flag. All three of these flags is red, white, and blue. Australia, the UK, and the Confederate. All three of those flags are red, white, and blue. These are three colors that were present in the tabernacle, in God's tabernacle. Amen. But there was also purple in the tabernacle, which is not in these flags. But we do have the red, white, and blue was in the tabernacle. It is said that the white represents the white robes of righteousness according to the law of God also discovered that in Agent Ireland and Agent Scotland the people were observing Old Testament law. I just discovered that last night. They were observing Old Testament law in Scotland and Ireland including not allowing the eating of swine. 
They didn't eat pork. They were following the Old Covenant law, talking about in the B.C. years, and even in uh, a lot of the A.D. years, even though they had been witnessed to by Andrew and other disciples later on. History shows that the people of Ireland and Scotland were observing the law of God, recognizing the Bible as scripture, which you would not see in the Gentile nations during those ancient years. When you look at years of a thousand years ago and two thousand years ago, you wouldn't see Gentile nations keeping the law of God, but rather the Israelite nations. So the light representing the keeping of the law, the righteousness according to the law. And the red representing the blood of Christ. So you've got the law and the blood. And the blue being the agent national color of Israel and of God's right to rule over men. In Numbers 15, Israel was instructed to wear a ribbon of blue, a blue, blue thread on their robe or on their robe as a remembrance of God's commandments. As a remembrance of God's commandments, a ribbon of blue. And so you see ribbons of blue in the Confederate flag. Speaking of the Confederate flag, it has 13 stars. Why? Why does the Confederate flag have 13 stars? It is said that 11 of those stars represent the original 11 states of the Confederacy. And the other two stars represent the two states that the Confederates won in the Civil War. The original 11 states of the Confederacy plus two states that they won and captured from the Union. But I believe that spiritually, these 13 stars on the Confederate flag represent 13 tribes of Israel. How do I get 13 and not 12? Well, you had your original 12 tribes, one of them being the tribe of Joseph. Then the birthright went from Joseph to his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And if you, as the Bible also does, consider Joseph as not being just Joseph, but being Manasseh and Ephraim in Joseph's place, then you would have not 12, but 13. If you take Joseph away, replace Joseph with his two sons, which the birthright went to, Manasseh and Ephraim, then you would have 13. Not only do we have 13 stars on the Confederate flag, but we also have 13 stars on the American dollar bill. 
representing the original 13 colonies of the United States. Original 13 colonies of the United States. And again, even though they say the 13 stars on the American dollar bill represents the original 13 colonies of America, I believe that spiritually, those 13 stars on the American dollar bill also, also represent the 13 tribes of Israel, just like it does in the Confederate flag. So you can find historical reasons for the 13 stars on the flag of the Confederacy and 13 stars on the American dollar bill. But spiritually thinking of what is behind the scenes, what God is saying, what God is revealing, what God is teaching, there are things that go beyond the human eye, that go beyond what history teaches, a spiritual underlining. I believe that in both cases, they both refer to the 13 tribes of Israel. I believe that all of this affirms that it is acceptable for people to use the Confederate flag as a symbolism of the people resisting communism, resisting tyranny, resisting the illegal regime of the North, resisting even the Antichrist, the Assyrian that comes out of the North, as the Bible says. I believe that the Confederate flag Yes, is a flag of war and division, as I used to say and teach. But that war and division is acceptable and good and righteous when you are rising up against an overbearing, illegal, wrong, and evil dictatorship that we are now facing with the Biden regime. And I believe that the Union during the Civil War was a whole lot more unrighteous than what we have been led to believe. Amen. Like I said, these notes I'm going to post will have a lot more information as well as scriptures and pictures and links all for you to examine as well as we'll get an old sermon about the throne of David up there for you as well. Okay, what, Brother Gerald? Um, there's, also, there's also another path that is behind the Bible which confirms the sermon and the meetings of the college which you listed. That's the current Israel flag, which is Want to start them off. Use the color blue or use the color white that's missing red. Wow. Interesting. There you have it. So, Brother Gerald said the current flag of Israel, even though it is demonic, you can see some symbolism in it. It has the color white and blue. 
but it's missing red. It's missing the blood of Jesus. Amen. That's very, very interesting. Amen. Very interesting. And also, just yesterday, when I shared with Brother Gerald what the Lord was leading me in in my studies for the sermon, he said that he had just read that same day about Scotland and Ireland and some of the what history, basically, history behind that. So interesting that God was still leading him about reading and, and studying and learning about the tribes and the agent names for Scotland and Ireland and how Scotland and Ireland was really basically the same people to some extent, at, at least in, at some point in time, even as all of Israel were the same people, the different tribes of that people were all connected. Amen. Anything else? And also, if anybody wants to start typing in any questions, now would be a good time to start typing. If anybody has any questions in the chat room. It's also interesting to me how I had put up a Confederate flag behind my desk. And, of course, most of the time we turn off the light in the room and we leave the room. But my laptop is sitting on my desk and is always glaring the light from the laptop up on that flag, which I had not planned it that way. I had not even thought about it. But when I go into that room and before I turn on the light, there's already a light showing up on the Confederate flag. It's a beautiful glow, a beautiful glow on that flag. And it also says it's not just a normal Confederate flag, but rather it has the words in God we trust. God we trust, which we see on the American money. And God we trust is also on that particular version of the flag. That's not the way it was historically. It's just the way a lot of people in modern times have added different things to a flag as a decoration. And that was the one that I felt propelled to buy. And it is just a reminder of what God is teaching me and part of my heritage as being from the southern states of the United States, part of my heritage. And I do have some Scottish and Irish ancestry as well, as well as the, you know, fake so-called Native American from the Cherokee and Chickasaw tribes, as well as the Jewish, that have Jewish ancestry as well. 
everybody is a mixed blood from different things. And so I also do have the Scottish and Irish ancestry as well. Perhaps some Danish and maybe some German Dutch as well. Anything else, Gerald? Anything from my wife? Anything you want to ask? And also very interesting, all the tornadoes that hit last night in Kentucky, Arkansas, Tennessee, Indiana, Ohio, Missouri, multiple states, one of the worst tornado outbreaks in American history. In American history, one of the worst tornado outbreaks. Uh, some of the strongest tornadoes ever recorded on radar. Some of the longest traveling tornadoes. One tornado was recorded as traveling over 200 miles across America, traveled through four different states. One tornado traveled over 200 miles, stayed on the ground for over 200 miles through four different states for over four hours. Four hours. Just one tornado. Not counting the other tornadoes. I think I had posted how many tornadoes? 30? 30 or more tornadoes hit last night and this morning and something like seven states or so or ten states or something like that. Uh, a historical outbreak. At least 50 dead, maybe even as many as 100 or more dead in America. At least 50 just in one town alone, I believe, in Kentucky. Entire towns wiped off the map, completely nothing left in some of the cities. Major tornado outbreak, I believe, is another sign of an increase in uh, destruction and death and trials and tribulations and causing people who should not be living in such places to suffer the consequences of their choices of not leaving uh, an area that is tornado prone and earthquake prone. And it's like, well, I can't, I can't, I can't leave, I can't leave, I can't leave. They say because of this, and that's using every excuse in the book. But God has the final word. Amen. God has the final word. I praise the Father Almighty in Jesus' name for mind-boggling information and a continual revealing, continual teaching, a continual confirmation, 
Amen. And reminder, Hanukkah starts December the 29th. December the 29th is the correct date of the first night of eight nights of Hanukkah, December the 29th. So we look forward to that. We're planning a great feast for that first night. Perhaps maybe we might have special services. Yeah. Looking for that possibility, that's going to be on a Wednesday. We'll probably have special services that day at 11 in the morning Eastern time, probably. And if anybody has any questions later, please feel free to text me or email me or chat with me in the media, social media. We also see continued stress with the Ukraine, threat of war in Ukraine, also Cambodia. I uh, saw so interesting news about China's influence in Cambodia uh, and other situations. Both America and Russia withdrawing their diplomats from each other. And a lot of rumors about even nuclear war breaking out over the Ukraine. Russia continues to uh, uh, amass soldiers and military equipment to invade the Ukraine. It's very, very, very clear that Russia is continuing to bring in soldiers, ammunition, and equipment to the border of the Ukraine to invade the Ukraine, which at least one American senator is uh, warning that this could break out to nuclear war. Uh, more and more people continue to die and be murdered by the fake COVID co uh, vaccines, the fake vaccines. That is continuing to multiply. We're seeing a great increase, as we expected, would eventually occur. We didn't know exactly when it would occur, but it's now occurring a great increase, a multiplication of the number of people dying from the vaccines. That's now occurring. So all these people that says, well, I know such and such people, I work with such and such people that got the vaccine and they're not dead and they're not sick, Well, it's now occurring. More and more of those people are now getting sick, and more and more of them are now dying. It is just a matter of time. It is a sad thing in one way, but in another way, it is God separating the foolish from the wise, wayward people that should have had enough common sense to not take the fake vaccine when there's warnings all over the internet and proof and documentation all over the internet how that these vaccines are not even vaccines and how they are dangerous and will kill the majority of people that take it in time. So, 
as cruel as it may sound, people get what they deserve. And there are consequences of people's actions and choices. And there are consequences of lawlessness and foolishness and bowing to an illegal regime and bowing to pressure and not listening to the voice of God. Amen. There's consequences to all of that. And it's just simply the truth. Amen. Okay, well, I'll let you go. I know some people got to get back to bed or get up to work. I know it's like 3, 4, 5 o'clock in the morning and sometimes on, so I'll let you go. Thank you for listening. And until next time, if you accept the truth, then may Jesus bless you in amazing ways. Amen. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.